Hey, Carl Franklin here. If you're going to be around Oslo, Norway, the 17th through the 21st of June, why don't you come stop in and see us at NDC? Richard and I will be there recording podcasts, so stop in and say hi, but come for the speakers. Brock Allen, Donovan Brown, Joe Albahari, Julie Lerman, Steve Sanderson, Jen Stirrup, Troy Hunt. Obviously, there's a whole lot more. This is one of our favorite conferences in Europe. Come check us out. Go to ndcoslo.com. Oh, and I also got to mention Dev Intersection that we're going to be at in Orlando, June 11th through 13th, the week before NDC. Go to devintersection.com to register now and tell them you heard about us on .NET Rocks. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And uh, reporting from the uh, World Wildlife Fund, otherwise <laughs> known as Richard's Backyard, something walked through your backyard last week, didn't it? St- stuff through walks through my backyard all the time, but we had something unusual in that we had a juvenile mountain lion go through the backyard. Here, kitty, kitty, kitty. Yeah, it's a, that's a big kitty. That's like 50 pounds of kitty. Wow. So, uh, and we have lynxes or bobcats in the area. And so we do at too. first I thought it was a bobcat, but then we got a good look at it and went, hey, that's got a long tail and it's a bit too big. I actually ran a clip of a bobcat, the bobcat that cut through beside this one and went, nope, that's twice the size of a cat. Wow. So I uh, haven't seen him, seen him again, which is good. Uh, we do, you know, I don't bother too much with bears going through. That's kind of normal. But uh, with that, we call Fish and Wildlife, and they went looking for them right away Mm -hmm. because they're hazardous. Yeah, right. It's, you know, 600 pounds of black bear, no problem. 50 pounds of cat, problem. Problem. Did you get (laughs) to see it uh, eating anything or destroying anything? It it was just passing through. What's really funny is on uh, the second clip, which is actually the front-facing camera, as soon as he was visible, a group of crows went after him immediately. Hmm. So you, you hear these crows. You know what they call it? A murder of crows? It, <laughs> it sounds know. like a murder of crows. So it is just chaos. And so he suddenly is running for the next ravine. Not welcome. Crazy. Well, uh, my better know framework isn't half as exciting as that story, but let's roll <laughs> the crazy music anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right, dude, what do you got? All right, so yet another JavaScript uh, client-side framework. No. This one is a, a sort of um, an opinionated implementation of Vue. It's called Nuxt, N-U-X-T. Oh, yeah. So it makes it easy to use server-side rendering, which is, you know, if you want to go SEO, if you want good SEO, that's yeah. kind of critical. Static pages. Plus, they the way they do routing is kind of like, MVC so that you have a folder structure and routes are automatically created when you add a new page and a folder and dynamic routes are defined by creating subfolders and prefixing the page name with an underscore. So it's all very, you know, convention over configuration kind of thing. And they say it's really fast. So from the, from the uh, website, nuxtjs.org, Performant with Nuxt.js, your application will be optimized out of the box. Hmm. We do our best to build performant applications by utilizing Vue.js and Node.js best practices. To squeeze every unnecessary bit out of your app, Nuxt includes a bundle analyzer and lots of opportunities to fine tune. And then under modular, Nuxt is based on a powerful modular architecture. You can choose from more than 50 modules to make your development faster and easier. You don't have to reinvent the wheel to get PWA benefits, add Google Analytics to your page, or generate a sitemap. And then here's the most important thing. They say our main focus is the developer experience. It's enjoyable. We love Nuxt.js and continuously improve the framework, so you will love it too. Expect appealing solutions, descriptive error messages, powerful defaults, and detailed documentation. Interesting. So it looks promising. And yeah. the guys... The guys in the uh, the Slack channel at AppVNX were kind of talking about it and saying how pretty cool it is. Nice one. Okay. Yeah. We're taking a look at. Yet another JavaScript framework. Is the world going to take all of these? What are we going to do with them all? Well, it's, it's interesting to see another a, a wave of them because it's like we're addressing a next set of problems. You know, it's right. a, to me, it reads like how the web is evolving. 
Yeah, and they they do seem to keep getting a little more high level, yeah. which is, you know, fundamentally what I want. I don't want to have to write nine JavaScript functions just to be able to do one thing. Yep. Yeah. Interesting. But it, and it's also interesting to see that's built on view. Right. Where we're also seeing, uh, you know, the these sort of core underlying libraries, the Angulars, Reacts, and Views, are now having stuff built on top of them. Yeah. My comment relates to that too. Well, why don't you go ahead and read that comment? So this is a comment off of show 1488, which we did in October of 2017, so a little while ago, with our friend Sean Wildermuth. Mm-hmm. That was the one of the shows where we talked about Vue, and mm-hmm. he very specifically compared it to React in many cases, which kicked off a non-trivial amount of commentary. Uh, and to Sean's credit, as per usual, he responded to absolutely everyone and yeah. was willing to tackle this sort of, hey, you just don't understand this kind of attacks versus the, uh, you know, the, you're wrong about this, like that sort of thing. But this particular comment uh, from Levin, I really appreciate. It. This is a couple of years old now, but he says, mm-hmm. guys, great show for knockout like data binding. You can use Mobix.js with React instead of Redux. Because there's lots of struggle around Redux, and we did a whole show with Ward Bell on Redux and just the philosophy there, right? I had to take purple pills for Redux. Yeah, Redux is the thing. Yeah. Um, this, of course, also gives the advantage of a separate view model logic. Nowadays, I'm excited about web components because they give me the advantage of component-based architectures without tying myself to a particular framework. Yeah. Since web component will receive native support from browsers, they won't go out of fashion, which I guess is also optimistic. But in 2017... Like today, we're looking at that. It's, it's not that big of a deal. But in 2017, that was right at the beginning of all of this. And Sean actually came back with a mention about WebAssembly as well. Because I think we're in yet another transition around these differing philosophies of how we build websites. Right. You know, we were really brought up. It's very funny to say that. With uh, your JavaScript lives over here and your CSS lives over there and your HTML lives over there. And we're starting to see philosophies around componentization, gathering things up. And then it gets driven into the browser. And That's how my like, mom used to cook it anyway. <laughs> we put oil in the water. I don't care what you guys I think. I don't care what you're thinking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, you know, I'm, I stay pretty agnostic here. I'm watching all the moves and sort of saying, isn't it interesting? We're kind of going through this process again. And right. the fact that this stuff's been driven into the browser sort of shakes it all up even more. Yep. So, Levin, the comment's a couple of years old, but I think super relevant. And thank you so much for it. And a copy of Music to Code By is on its way to you. And if you'd like a copy of Music to Code By, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or on Facebook. We publish every show there. And if you comment there and I read it on the show, we'll send you a copy of Music to Code By. And definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet. We view them all. We do. It's true. Nothing. No, no, nothing. We also react to them. Oh, <laughs> come on. You get bigger laughs than mine. And it was my joke. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you right, liked my was... angular on that, did you? Oh, yours was funnier. Okay. <laughs> okay. Both of yours were funnier. Not fair. All right. Well, anyway, let's uh, introduce Jason Langstorff. Jason is a developer advocate, senior engineer, and occasional designer at Gatsby. He's an advocate for building highly productive teams through better communication, well-designed systems and processes, and healthy work-life balance. And he blogs about that sometimes. He lives in Portland, Oregon. Welcome, Jason Langstorff. Thanks for having me. So is working, I got to tell you, is working at Gatsby um, great? <laughs> oh, save me. I had to make up for that bad joke. It's the first time you ever heard that one, right, Jason? Uh, it, it It is. I've never heard that joke before. It was, it was great. <laughs> All right, so <laughs> I'm sorry. D- this is dad joke hour. Yeah, um, nice. So, what is Gatsby? Let's start there. Uh, Gatsby is a. Uh, actually, you were talking about Nuxt. Gatsby is sort of like Nuxt. Um, so it's a, a React-based framework okay. for quickly building out apps using some uh, some strong opinions. So we've got a data layer. We've got a routing solution. Mm-hmm. Um, we do a lot of performance optimization. The main difference is that Rea- or with Gatsby, you're going to pre-compile everything into static assets that you can then host on a CDN. So it alleviates the need for any complicated DevOps processes because you can just toss this onto whatever cloud storage bucket and set it and forget it. Great. Um, 
the the nice thing about it as well is that we have a, a data normalization layer. So we can pull data from pretty much any file source, whether it's the the file system, APIs, databases, whatever you got. Okay. We can pull that together into a uh, GraphQL kind of normalization layer mm-hmm. so that you develop all of your components using the same approach with data. And uh, it, it tends to have a really good developer experience. We focus really heavily on performance. And um, we've been told that the the experience of building with Gatsby kind of makes web development fun again. Um, so we've seen a lot of people starting to use it for their personal sites. We've started to see some companies picking it up as a way to cut down their um, their turnaround time for shipping. Right. And uh, and we've just seen an outpouring of love from the community, which has been it makes my job really easy. It's uh, it's a it's a great job to wake up to people being happy with the the product that you work on. <laughs> yeah, right. So as Richard and I were talking about, you know, these higher level um, frameworks are now sitting on top of like React and Vue and uh, other things like that in Angular. Do you think that um, it's easier to get Gatsby and Nuxt and all of these things if you understand? I've already gone through using the underlying platform, or is this something that you'd feel very confident uh, teaching to a new web developer as the way to do websites? Um, I think, I mean, you can answer that question both ways, and I think that you would be right, because there's never harm in understanding the the underlying technology. It always will give you the ability to do more than you can do with with the the abstraction. Yep. Um, But the... The other thing is, you know, the the barrier to starting is getting steeper and steeper because of all the different technologies that come into play. Right. Um, it's very difficult to just start writing JavaScript. You typically have to set up Webpack or Babel or all these things just to get up and running. And what we found is that with Gatsby, because we eliminate all of that boilerplate and you just kind of you type Gatsby new and then you type Gatsby develop and you're seeing live updates in your browser, uh, we've seen universities start to take this as a way to teach web development to new developers because yeah. it cuts out that that feedback loop it's now very short you make an edit you see it live and um, as a result people are are quicker to learn because they can test concepts in a way that doesn't require them to have that mental context of thinking in uh, programming language they're able to just see the output and break it and then fix it and uh, and that kind of sh- short circuits the the initial learning curve, um, not entirely, but in a way that has been meaningful for at least the the teachers who continue to teach it. That's really interesting to just yeah. skip over all of that stuff that we used to think you needed to know to build websites and just go, hey, hey, look at this abstraction layer. And in, and it gets right to building a PWA. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's wild. I wonder if we don't run the risk, though, of if you don't know some of these underlying platforms, as you said, um, of, you know, pigeonholing yourself as a, you know, Gatsby or um, Nuxt developer, kind of like what happened to Cold Fusion developers, at least in the early 2000s. That was my opinion, that somebody who learned how to program websites via Cold Fusion. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, my my take on this is that it, it becomes a pretty philosophical argument. And if you're if you're intentional about the way that you design your abstractions, then you can allow people to go deeper as needed, and they can just kind of peel back layers right. to learn only what's required to accomplish the task the task at hand. Yeah, and so that seems smart. I mean, I think the the path that we're on, given the way that the web is is evolving, mm-hmm. is my suspicion is that we're going to get to the point where we start looking at the really low level parts of web development. Uh, the same way that we look at machine code. Like it's a thing that you can know, mm-hmm. yeah. but you don't need to anymore. Right. You know, I don't need to care how my my operating system works. I just need to know how to use my operating system. And yeah. I, I think that if we if we keep on the path that we're going on where we build these tools and abstractions, I see them becoming kind of an abstraction layer over the top of the web platform. Um and that may be kind of, like there might be different permutations of that. You know, jQuery, for example, was an abstraction over the web platform mm. that eventually was made obsolete because the web platform adopted all of its best ideas. True. Right. And so maybe what we're looking at is that in the future, the web platform is going to take the best of React and Vue and Angular and turn it into something that you can use natively. 
Um, And then we don't have to think about the underlying stuff that makes all that work. It'll just be part of the platform. But you remember how jQuery ended, right? I mean, you had all these people who called themselves JavaScript developers, but didn't know JavaScript. They knew jQuery. Yeah, I, you, you do have that. Um, and, and you could make the same argument about, say, like WordPress developers and, and PHP. Right. Um, yeah. But I think that it's, you know, I don't necessarily think that everyone who works in a bakery needs to be a master baker. I think that there are, you know, you can you can get all the way down to the the chemistry of making perfect bread, but mm. for a lot of people, they just follow a recipe and and get the thing done. Yep. Um, yeah, you need so, one so person think, who's making new recipes, and everybody else follows them. I'm totally with you, by the way. I'm just you know playing devil's advocate for the sake of conversation. Well, and for the record, I'm looking at the 2018 release of Cold Fusion Enterprise by Adobe. Oh, and the only bad word in that whole chain is Adobe. <laughs> <laughs> You know, they be- they become the new computer associates. It's where good software goes to die. I just remember having uh, some cold fusion developers in my ASP.NET web class, and they were they were angry because we were taking so long to do something so simple. Is what well, they, they could have been front page quote unquote developers, right? Like we've yeah. we have mm-hmm. placed abstractions over the web for a long time. The question is, are we doing it right now? Yeah, and that's actually I think one of the most important things is um, so. For example, the way that Gatsby's doing it is we're we're following a mental model that we call the progressive disclosure of complexity, and it's it's the idea that as you're layering your abstractions, you should do them thoughtfully so that when someone starts, they're starting with a default set of good decisions. Um, we we always say you should make the right thing the easy thing, and the goal there is that somebody with no experience and no knowledge of how the underlying tech works should be able to build a new Gatsby site and ship it without modifying anything and get an excellent user experience. And, and our, our hope there, you know, a, as you can see, if you ship a site right now, the, the default Gatsby starters are going to ace their performance tests. They're going to, uh, they're going to feel instant, like to the point of almost feeling native when you navigate them on, on mobile. Um, they've got all of the kind of the performance and UX baked in from the start so that you as a developer don't have to learn that stuff. You just have to not break it. Um, yeah. However, if you want to peel back a layer, if you want to go deeper, we allow you to progressively dig into the stack and customize whatever you want, whether it's the components, whether it's the data, or if you want to go all the way down into the stack and start screwing with your Webpack or Babel config, you can get there. And we don't require you to take full ownership. You just eject the pieces you want to eject, and we use uh, composition to make sure that those settings are are used without you having to take ownership of all of the settings to change one, mm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And you start with data. We we start with data. Um, part of the the first thing that you're going to do with with Gatsby is uh, plug in data sources. And those are done right. through plugins. So you'll say, I want to use you know WordPress, and then you plug in an API key, and it, it just pulls in your, Word, your WordPress data or wherever you want to grab it from. Um, and that's, that's kind of one of your first steps when you're starting to do a, a custom Gatsby build. Mm-hmm. Um, nice. and then, you know, you'll, you'll build react components around that, or you'll use a, a theme or a starter that will grab, uh, that just kind of is pre-configured for that. So you drop in an API key and everything, you know, just works, uh, trademark. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, it, it, it is getting back to the sort of business-minded thinking of how you build stuff. It's like, well, we have a set of data we want to make available online. How do we do that? Mm-hmm. And I, I appreciate that sentiment because I don't think most web devs really start there these days. I, th- I think there's a, there's a spirit of like innovating for innovation's sake, uh, mm-hmm. which is good. The, the problem is that with communities like Twitter, that type of innovation has um, it kind of overshadows getting things done. And so you can get self-conscious as a web developer if you just do the work as opposed to, you know, inventing things. And and that can lead to kind of a spirit of overcomplication for the sake of overcomplication because you feel like you have to, you know, put a new spin on something in order for it to have value. Mm. Um we want to leave that door open. If you want to innovate, absolutely. We're not going to close that door, but we want to start with the goal, which is you want to, you know, you're in a job to provide some sort of value to a group of people. Right. And we want to create the shortest path with the best outcome to that particular goal and then leave all the doors unlocked so you can do whatever you want along the way. Mm-hmm. 
Very interesting. Yeah. No, yeah. It, it's it, it's always a question of, are you going to get in the way of what I want to do or are you going to make it easier to get what I want to do? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in our case, it's it's just, you know, make the right thing, the easy thing, give you a good sure. set of defaults and then you you still have all the buttons. We just pushed them in a certain order so that you could start without having to touch anything. And is the focus mobile apps like or, you know, going to mobile devices or is it uh, regular, regular web surfing on a desktop? Um, I think the, the distance between those two is getting smaller and smaller. So I would, I would just kind of say yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, but let's face it, rendering onto a brow onto a browser on a phone versus rendering onto a browser and a desktop is not the same problem. Like, so how do you solve the scaling issue? The, so the way that we render is we have a lot of different concerns for how data gets to the browser, whether it's mobile or, or desktop. And, you know, the, the ways that we solve those concerns are like, we have an image component that's going to take whatever image at whatever size, run a bunch of optimizations, and then deliver an, a selection of sizes to the browser. So right. that the browser says, I'm at 300 pixels wide, I'm going and I have a 2x density. So I'm going to pick the 600 pixel wide image so that it's exactly enough data to fill this space mm, right. um, on a desktop, it'll use the full resolution image because it, you know, it, it can. Um, so we look at it as, you know, everything should work really, really well on mobile. So if you think about it from that standpoint, it's mobile first. Right. Uh, but we're starting to see the gap close where, you know, the things that make progressive web apps on mobile work, like being able to install to your home screen, uh, offline support, those sorts of things. We're starting to see that ship with uh with modern browsers on the desktop you can install progressive web apps to your desktop in certain browsers now and that is a, a really powerful model that um that is kind of really closing that gap between mobile and and web um if you start to look at it from that standpoint then the design is really the only thing that is a, a really specific consideration between mobile and desktop um the rest of the underlying technology, if it's set up to serve only enough data to make that thing work, it, it shouldn't really be something that you need to think about as a developer because it just, you know, you've got, again, you've got those right defaults in place that you're going to have a great experience in both locations. You do, it's just your job to make it pretty, which is, you know, that's what web development, in my opinion, that's what it is to start is making information look good uh, on whatever device somebody views it from. Right. Yeah, and that's always the challenge, right? It's is I'm expected to support these different form factors, and they all have to look great. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, we like one of the ways that we solve that for somebody who doesn't want to design is, you know, there there are plugins out there for using Gatsby with Bootstrap, Material Design, um, you know, a bunch of different uh, design systems and libraries that have solved that in a visual way. So we'll provide the kind of the data and the the compilation step they provide the the view layer and you as a developer just kind of you know you're you're just orchestrating things to put them in the right place right um that's that's probably the easiest way to solve it if you don't want to design um from my standpoint what i what i like about it is it gets all of those other considerations out of the way so i can do the part that's fun for me which is playing with those designs Right. Um, but I can definitely see how that's not fun for everybody. <laughs> no, and and the biggest thing I want to do as a non-design enthusiast developer is not mess up where a designer could be inserted and, and make it look better. So mm -hmm. you know they yeah, and I I often defaulted to the idea of well, I'll just insert Bootstrap. Although there's a certain number of designers out there who immediately cringe. Sure, yeah, I mean the, it, like that's and that's the kind of the. The part that we, that's where you start to get outside of Gatsby's abstractions because we don't right. have a lot of opinions about what the site looks like. One thing that makes me cringe about React is sort of the mixing of HTML and JavaScript. Reminds me of ASP. This is your old scar tissue showing. <laughs> Maybe that's where, that's why I'm afraid of it. That's, that's exactly it. I got old pain. Um, I mean, so you're not necessarily required to do that. You can use React without JSX. Um, it's going to be a weird world to do that because... All of the documentation assumes that you're going to do the JSX thing. Um, I, I mean, I had I had similar hesitation when I started it because I've always been a kind of an MVC minded person, mm -hmm. and so it felt very much like mixing the the view and the controller. Um, but I 
I don't know. I just, I, over time I started to figure out how to separate the, the logic of presentation, which previously would have ended up in some kind of a templating library anyways, with a, its own weird for loop syntax and all that. Um, I, I just kind of got to be okay with having JavaScript as the templating library. Um, that's, that's but fair. I still am not going to shove a bunch of business logic into yeah, a React right. component that lives in a utility library yeah. that's just JavaScript. But I, right. I think you make the important statement there, Jason, which is that it's a component that you're combining all of the things that are related to the component and it's com a component approach as opposed to this, this separation we've been used to with separate HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. So mm -hmm. it's just a different philosophy. Absolutely. It's not necessarily better or worse. Yeah, it's that's very true. Because um, it, you know, you don't think in MVC with a, a React app. You think in right. you think in components, which is a very, very different way of of approaching architecture. Yeah, and I think it's one of the reasons you get these sort of religious conflicts around it. Like people react so strongly because it does attack at a philosophical level. And when you complain that mm -hmm. you don't like it, it's like, well, then you just don't understand the philosophy. Because if you understood the philosophy, of course you would like it. It's like, meh, not necessarily. You know, they, I see their strengths yeah. and weaknesses yeah. in each of these approaches. It doesn't mean any of them are better or worse. I do like the fact that your presentation isn't split over three files. You know, I do like that. But um, yeah, and I guess I guess if you just are careful enough with the JavaScript that you do put in there, that it's only presentation JavaScript, you know, that I think it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and and you know, that's kind of, I think... On the various teams that I've been on, you know, when I was at IBM, we were trying to we were trying to navigate this change from uh, a Java monolith with a bunch of like we moved through three different JavaScript frameworks before most of the team started to land on React, and mm. so we were trying to see what is it like to build enterprise applications with you know tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of lines of code. How do we build those? in a React world. And so I got to see how different teams approach those problems and and a lot of the ways that they would, you know, take the MVC mindset into React and in various problems that that would cause. And I saw the the over abstraction where people would, you know, everything went into a utility library and you were doing this this game of dependency uh, musical chairs trying to find the thing that actually did what you were trying to, to accomplish. Um, and I think it's what I've ultimately landed on after seeing a lot of different teams solve problems at varying levels of success is that it doesn't actually matter how you write code. It matters how your team communicates about how you write code because every mm. single team that was successful, none of them, they weren't following the same patterns, yeah. but they all internally were super consistent and they were all really clear on the way that they managed data and had documentation and, and, uh, kind of cultural enforcement of those patterns. Hmm. And that's the only consistent thing I've seen in, in successful teams is, you know, there, there is no ultimate pattern. There is no ultimate tool. And that's been true on teams that were writing jQuery on teams that were writing, you know, like Java on teams that were writing uh, react and, and everything else that I've seen. It's always about the way that the teams operate and, and what they kind of operate with is their team contract for how they architect and communicate about code, it's never been the code itself. Fair, fair assessment. So, what can we expect when we just if we're if we're not React developers, maybe there's a few kind of things we need to get used to, like JSX. But if we are React developers, what are some of the things we're going to notice right off the bat about Gatsby? Um. So the 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 first thing that you'll see in a Gatsby app is um, we have some opinions about how we do routing. And one of them is a, a convention where we have a source pages directory. And in the pages directory, any component that you put there will be treated like a page. So if you put an index.js, that becomes index.html. About.js becomes mm. about.html. Mm. Um, so that's the way that you kind of build out the top level structure of your site. Mm -hmm. We also have APIs where you can do this programmatically. You know, you can, uh, we have a create pages API, mm -hmm. which exposes a handful of little helper functions where you can create custom pages at any path using any component. Um, so you're not required to use that convention. It's more for convenience and, uh, and kind of understanding at a glance what's going on in the, the simplest parts of your app. Okay. Um, so that'll be one that you'll notice first. The other thing that you'll see is uh, we have, because we do static 
or server rendering, you'll need to make sure that you're mindful of when you access the the window or the document because that won't be available during a server-side rendering phase. So during the build, uh, a, a build will fail in server-side rendering if you reference the window. So you need to be kind of mindful of where you put that and make sure that you've got guards to make sure it exists before you access it. Okay. Um, that'll be another thing that'll trick you up. And finally, there are a handful of, of Gatsby components that'll just make your life easier. For example, we have a Gatsby image component that uh, does what I talked about earlier, where we um, we use GraphQL and a library called Sharp mm. to process the images and then give you back an array of different source sets and resolutions and all the things that you need to serve responsive images. Gatsby image will take that array of data and turn it into a lazy loaded uh, aspect ratio set uh kind of image display mm. that doesn't block the initial render and then we'll do something something snazzy. By default, it does a blur up technique, which is yeah. popularized by medium. It's where the image starts out blurry and then fades into to full sharpness once the, the full size image is loaded. Right. Um, we can also do a handful of other ways of, of doing that. We can trace the edges of the photo and show an SVG that's really small and two-tone. A um, couple other things that you can try. And then uh, that is, so that's like one thing that we do. Another thing that we do is is the Gatsby link component. So link is uh, borrowed from the underlying router, but we add an extra uh, extra bit of functionality where whenever a link is on screen to a, a relative link in the page, so if you're on home and a link to the about page is visible in the viewport, we're going to prefetch that data behind the scenes hmm. so that when you click on it, it's an instant load. Um so using those components, it uh, there's not a lot to it, but you do have to know that they exist and uh, they they behave a little bit differently. I think GraphQL is going to be the biggest shock for most people who haven't used it before or who aren't familiar with using GraphQL as as kind of a build time thing, right? Because you access the file system through GraphQL in in Gatsby, and you're accessing you know the file system alongside your remote data and your database and everything that you would touch. So thinking about what happens at build time versus what happens on the client side is a, a mindset that you just kind of have to get a feel for, all right, this can be built ahead of time, but I'm going to make this asynchronous call once the the app rehydrates in the browser. Um, mm. Those are all kind of, they're things that are familiar if you've built React apps, but they're, they have specific patterns in Gatsby that uh, you, you just have to work through to see how they fit together. Absolutely. And Jason, I'm going to interrupt you for one moment for this very important message. Hey, this is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And we're excited to be hosting the .NET Developer Days Conference in Warsaw, Poland, October 23rd through the 25th. .NET Developer Days is one of the largest events in Central and Eastern Europe dedicated to application development on the .NET platform. We'll be recording a number of .NET Rocks episodes from the conference. Plus, we'll be hanging out with you. So register today at net.developerdays.pl. And we'll see you there. And we're back. It's Richard Campbell and Carl Franklin on .NET Rocks. Yo. We're talking to Jason Langsdorf about gatsby.js and this uh you know we early on was saying this abstraction layer means you don't have to worry about a lot of these things but now you're talking about some of the meat and potatoes about the way react works that it's wise for you to know them to understand what's happening with your gatsby app absolutely i mean if you're going to be building something ambitious you you especially if you get into like client side stuff mm -hmm. you got to know the tools you know you can't you can't we don't abstract react away you're using react yeah. to build your apps. Um, we do make it so that you can very easily use React as nothing but an HTML template engine. Um, but if you want to start doing the interactivity, if you want to start doing any kind of client-side logic, you're, you are, you're writing React. Um, so it's, it's definitely not something where like you're not going to use Gatsby to get out of learning React. It's sure. just something that will help you do it quickly and without having to set up a whole bunch of uh, boilerplate on your your dev machine to get it loading. You're also talking about GraphQL, which I think we, we've talked about a couple times mm -hmm. on the show before. Yep. It, it is a different way of thinking about how you, you, you query data. Absolutely. And, and so the, and this is not optional. Like this is part of the equation here of how you do things is that you, you got to get comfortable with GraphQL for your data. 
Well, okay. So let me back back that statement up a little bit. It's mm-hmm. not required. It will make your life easier. Yes. It's worth learning. It's it's absolutely worth learning. So it, by default, you can build out your pages using no data layer whatsoever. Um, you could use our Create Pages API and you know import using like Node's file system stuff. You could do like a, a fs.read and pull in a JSON file or a YAML file or whatever you wanted and then loop through those and create pages and just insert the data for those pages into, right. you know, we have a, a context object that you can pass and you could do all of that. And that totally works. No GraphQL required, no data layer of any any kind. Right. Um, when you build ambitious applications, what ends up happening is you get a lot of relationships between pages. You've got blog posts and categories and authors and tags and you need to be able to put all of those things together in a way that, you know, allows you to link between them. So shoving all of that data into a context object is possible, but it ends up being a lot of data. And that starts to weigh down the page because you got to store it somewhere and it's going to end right. up in a, you know, in your React props or something. Mm-hmm. Um, using GraphQL, you can query for just what you need and that gets it to be a lot lighter weight. And it also co-locates those queries with the components. So you can see... I'm using this component with this data and here's the request for that data. So if I want to figure out where it goes, I'm kind of looking at the data and saying, no, I need this data instead and then working with it in the component. So, you know, again, it's it's thinking in components where, you know, a, a component in React is effectively a micro app. Um, so each thing can theoretically be its own independently shareable chunk of, of functionality and that's how we treat data you you co-locate a query with the component so that you can see at a glance you know any developer can walk in and look at it and say all right i requested a blog and the title author and tags and i'm trying to work with the category oh i need to update the query to include the category you know it's it's kind of a, a way of visually exploring without having to dive through eight layers of files my my recall on GraphQL also is that it was really tolerant to multiple disparate data sources. So as soon as you've got any mm-hmm. complexity to your data at all, GraphQL makes your life substantially easier. Yeah, and that's one of the big, uh, to me, one of the biggest selling points of Gatsby is this concept that we've started calling the content mesh. So if you're using a Gatsby site, um, in a traditional CMS, you've got like WordPress or let's say Drupal. And any new data that you want, you have to fit it into that model. You have to add that data to Drupal. You have to add it to Adobe Experience Manager or Magento or whatever you're using. Uh, Can you tell that I'm from the PHP world? (laughs) Um, (laughs) I hear the pain in your uh, voice, Jason. I hear it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But so when you when you start adding those new data sources in a in a like monolithic CMS model, you find yourself trying to twist the internals of that CMS to fit data that was never supposed to go there. Right. In the content mesh model, we allow you to pull that door to data from wherever it needs to be. And so you get to choose the best in class for a thing. So if you want to use like Shopify to manage your e-commerce and a CMS like Contentful to manage the blog and Markdown files to manage your docs, you can do that. It all loads into a single GraphQL layer and then you're able to build those those pages and you can even create relationships between them. So if I have like my authors listed as a YAML file, but my blog posts come from say sanity.io, the headless CMS, then I can pull in my, my sanity stuff, create a relationship between my sanity posts and the authors.yaml file and like coordinate those. I can make a, a request to get both of those things in a single component. And it's one GraphQL query as opposed to being, you know, a rest call and a rest call and then a reconciliation function and then actually filtering down and, and displaying it. God, we've come a long way since XML, haven't we? It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a good one. <laughs> I just, I can't imagine trying to do that in X with, you know, the old, the old style. You'd have to write a book yeah, with I, a JavaScript to do that. No, or, or you'd yeah, ram I, everything into your SQL server, right? It, yeah, of it, course. It would all be done at the database layer right. and mangling the data along the way. And then that would be what you'd work from. And then you'd call Kim and Paul to unwrangle it for you. Yeah. And then you were always complaining about how slow SQL Server is. <laughs> yeah. SQL sucks. <laughs> What's wrong with this thing? <laughs> I, I remember my, one of my very first projects was, uh, or one of my first projects that dealt with data. I had to do a bunch of SOAP requests 
And I had, I had no idea how this thing worked. And I remember trying to dig through it and it was an absolute nightmare. Um, and it, like looking back on that versus today where, you know, with something like GraphQL, it's got a built-in explorer. So you just open a special URL and it'll show you the entire schema, everything that you can query and allow you to run queries in the browser against that that schema so you can see what data comes back. I'm just thinking like, oh my God, how much more could we have done with those tools and how much more are we going to get done now that we have them? And it's, it's a really exciting time. You know, I think Sigmund Freud once said, you know, sometimes a 200 uh, code is not a 200 code. <laughs> all right i'm pretty sure he didn't say that but okay no, well he meant it <laughs> that's what he meant really deep down uh, somebody's got to tweet that for me please that was pretty yeah, good that's a good one did i make up for the bad joke in the beginning okay i hope so uh, um Security models, authentication, authorization options in Gatsby. I mean, is it nothing special there? Just works? Um, if you're doing any kind of client-side authentication, it's going to be done in React land. So you can integrate right. it with something like Auth0 or Okta. Um, you can roll your own uh, like OAuth2 approach if you want. But Gatsby itself isn't really dealing with that. And one of the right. things that I like the most about Gatsby out of the box is that the security model is, there is no attack vector to the server or the database because the the static assets that are generated mm. have no connection. Right. Yeah. Um, we, everything happens. Yeah. What are you going to attack? Yeah. Yeah. You can. So somebody can hack your your CDN and deface the files, but they can't actually gain access to a server because there's no active server. Right. 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 Yeah. There is no dynamic element going on here, so it's pretty static. Exactly. Uh, I'm looking at the the plugins, and they, it looks like they're mostly about bringing different services to play, like being able to use Google Analytics and uh, the image handling stuff. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you're stay, you're just yeah. staying out of all of that. We, yeah, we tend to um, we we adopted a plugin model because it's too you know we if we start putting those opinions into the framework, it becomes kind of bloated and unwieldy, and people are getting a bunch of settings they don't need. Right. So with a plugin model, it's more of a, a Legos approach where you say, all right, I've got the core that's going to spit out something good, and then I'll just stack the plugins that I need to get the outcome that I uniquely require for this particular project. Um, we've seen pretty solid success with that, and by opening up that plugin ecosystem, it's really exploded. You know, the there we've got close to 900 plugins, I think. Yeah, that's and a lot of plugins. The, Holy the man. community mm. is. Yeah, they're they're outstanding. They're they're keeping them up to date they're really really fast to to patch like new features in when whenever you know something updates in the background um i've been just absolutely blown away with the engagement of the gatsby community especially after you know working at a, a big company like ibm which you know ostensibly has a much bigger audience but their open source projects didn't have nearly the activity that that gatsby has well, and it you know speaks to a healthy infrastructure, right? Making plugins and allowing that model to exist so that people can make things the way they want to make them, and they get to be a part of the community. Like, a, yeah, the community has its own power in that respect. Absolutely. I mean, I think the the biggest, like the single biggest strength of Gatsby is the the strength of its community, and mm -hmm. and because of that, we've designed the company around that. We want. We want to give autonomy and ownership and visibility to the people in the community who build most of what Gatsby can do. You know, most of those plugins weren't built by the Gatsby core team. They were built by people out in the community. So nice. we want to make sure that, you know, we we are always putting the community out at the forefront. And that's why we do things like if you get a, a pull request merged into the Gatsby org, we grant you um, access to it. You become a maintainer on the, the Gatsby JS org on GitHub. And nice. we'll also give you a, a discount code to claim free swag as a way of like recognizing that, yeah, you've contributed to Gatsby. You're, you're part of our team. Hmm. Um, so nice. we, we really take that seriously and, and have worked extremely hard to make our open source community one of the most welcoming on the internet. Um, it's, it's baked into our core values. You know, one of our core values is you belong here with the idea being that whether you're a first time coder or a seasoned veteran, or from any background, or or whatever, you are absolutely welcome in in our community, and you absolutely should be in open source, and we want you here. So we shape the way that we address pull requests, the you know the the SLAs that we're trying to define. Like 
we want to make sure that we're responding to everybody's pull requests and issues within 24 hours on weekdays. And, you know, we, we work really hard to hit those metrics so that people do feel heard and respected and noticed when they're, when they participate in the community. And, and it shows in the way that our community, they feel respected and, and they feel like they have ownership. And so they just run with it and they do this incredible stuff. A couple of thousand contributors. That's a pretty diverse uh, open source library. Like that's not just a handful of people building things. I'm sure there's some key contributors, but still that's a lot of people. The showcase is pretty awesome too. I spent some time mm-hmm. going through some of those websites. They they just look nice and they're nice and fast. Yeah, I, I love going through that showcase for inspiration. Jason, how does Gatsby make a living? Uh, Gatsby makes its its living by uh, we have a commercial entity, and our first product is called Gatsby Preview. So uh, working with Gatsby as a developer is awesome because it's you know it's local. It's designed around developer experience. But if you're not a developer, it can be kind of a pain because you have to, you know, run a local server to see changes before they get published. And, and right. there's kind of this infrastructure around setting up previews that is it's not it's not insignificant. And we saw agencies and larger companies having to stand up this infrastructure to run like development servers and to be able to preview uh, if they made changes in their CMS. How are they going to look at those changes before those changes get published to the live site? How do they share those those preview changes with other people for feedback before publishing? And people were doing things like crowding around the same computer. They were taking screenshots and like writing on them. It was it was not a particularly ergonomic experience. So Gatsby Preview is a cloud-hosted way to not only rebuild when code changes, but rebuild when data changes and give you a unique private URL that can be password protected so that somebody in the content team is able to get that same rapid feedback loop of changing something in, say, Contentful, and then they see that change on the, the preview URL within a few seconds so that they can then send that to somebody else and say, hey, here's the change I made. What do you think? That's um, so cool. that's like the first thing that we're offering. And most of what we're going to be doing is is in that vein. It's kind of software to help people collaborate when they're building with Gatsby. Um, so managed infrastructure, ways to cut down feedback loops and make it easier for not only the developers, but the rest of the team that's going to be working with a Gatsby site at larger companies to get a great experience and, and get something really good shipped fast to create a lot of value without any, I mean, really it just boils down to reducing friction. Sure, um, right. Gatsby open source is very good at reducing friction for developers. Gatsby Inc. The, the commercial entity is going to work very hard to get good at reducing friction for everybody else. I, I'm looking at the uh, the Gatsby preview beta, and one of the things they say is you need to be in Contentful. What's the relationship there? Uh, so Contentful was a early partner, um, and that copy is actually out of date now because just over the last week or two, we've added additional support for more CMSs, so that, um, that will be updated soon. But I know that like Sanity.io supports it. I think we've started to see a few others. I'm not going to name names because I'm not 100% certain and I don't want to make promises I can't back up. Sure, sure. Um, but we're we're seeing a handful of CMSs with the intention being that this is going to go into a more of an open beta with, um, with the ability for other CMS providers to add their own support for preview. Um, that's all coming in the relatively short term. Wow. But yeah, this relationship between Gatsby and CMS is about ways to present data and be able to control them, obviously, in part and part of the equation. Um, but yeah, pre- looks like mm-hmm. previews still beta. It's like you know, you're not really got your product yet. Yeah, it's we've got um, we've got a handful of customers in, and we're just working out all of the like the kind of gritty details, like what, where are people tripping up when they try to use this internally? Sure. And we are feeling pretty confident about that now. So here in the, the short, you know, like I said, the fairly short term, we should see this go open beta and then to full general availability. Um, my, my hope is that that is on the order of weeks, not months, but I, again, I'm not going to make promises that I can't, uh, that I can't back up that watch this space. Exactly. Exactly. Watch this space. Neat. Well, very good. Uh, is there anything else that you wanted to talk about that we didn't cover? Um, no, I think, I mean, there, there are some, some exciting things happening inside of Gatsby in terms of the, the core tech that I think are going to be really powerful. For example, we're working on um, 
both schema customization and the ability to build uh, completely encapsulated themes, um, which those two things together open up some really cool possibilities where uh, in you know traditional CMS land, you can install a single theme and that theme needs to do everything that you need or else you're back into uh, bespoke software. Yeah. Um, with with Gatsby themes and the way that we've structured them, they're actually composition. They're they're composable both uh, horizontally and vertically. So you can take a, a blog theme and then create a child theme that updates some styles and stuff around it, which is excellent. But you can also horizontally compose and install a blog theme and an e-commerce theme that run side by side and inherit styles from a child theme so that they look like they're part of the same website. And nice. that's a, a really, really powerful concept that we are just getting to the point of we're almost going to stable with it. Um, we're we're kind of finalizing some documentation and some some basic developer experience stuff to make sure that we've got all that locked down before we call it officially shipped. But you can use that today. Uh, we've got a lot of people using it in production. Um, the Apollo team, uh, re the GraphQL company, Apollo, has their documentation set up on Gatsby themes, and they did a really good job of, of describing that. Trevor Blades on their team was on one of our webinars talking about how they how they did that and how that uh, made their lives easier and helped them ship things fast. Hmm. Um, outside of that, I think, you know, the the rest of it, I would just love to see people on, on Twitter, on GitHub, uh, reaching out to me, reaching out to Gatsby uh, to get involved. We absolutely love to get people involved in open source, especially if you're a first timer. I want to help you get your first contribution in. So, so please reach out to us and we'll make that happen. Wow. Fantastic. Hey, thanks for uh, spending this time with us. It's been really great, Jason. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. All right. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a